0: hello and welcome to the evergreen way podcast where we explore how to be a healthy leader for the long haul my name is andy needham and i get to serve on the team with converge northeast and we are privileged today to bring you a conversation with pastor john kimber this is a rich conversation around post-christian ministry around preaching there is so much here before we get into that i just want to remind you and invite you June 21st in Avon, Connecticut. Put it on your calendar and register today for our Evergreen One Day. The Evergreen One Day. This is a very unusual and special event where we really get to work on the soul of our leadership. All the things that the Evergreen platform is all about. Spiritual formation, effective communication, kingdom leadership, all in the context of spiritual friendship. I just saw an article today that talked about how lonely pastors are all over the country and how that is impacting our ministry and the vitality and flourishing of the local church. We have a better way. We have an opportunity and environments like this, the evergreen one day can help you be able to build the soul of your leadership and also the community of your leadership. The whole day is built around These masterclasses that involve lots of conversation and discussion, you'll be interacting with your peers, and it is a special environment. June 21st, Avon, Connecticut, Evergreen, one day. I would love to see you there. You can learn more on all of our social platforms. Just search for Converge Northeast or go to convergenortheast.org and click under the events tab, convergenortheast.org. One thing that actually comes up in the podcast, this was recorded a few weeks ago, is Tim Keller, talking about his ministry. And uh, I just want to just quickly just say, uh, as we are in the wake of his passing, uh, how grateful I am for the ministry of Tim Keller. As someone who served my entire life in the Northeast, in a post-Christian context, Tim Keller really stood alone as an example of, I would say maybe not alone, but stood out as an example of winsome ministry of orthodox conviction, and he just had a gentleness that really was Christ-like, especially as he continued on in his ministry. What a great, great example. There are two things that actually, I I share this online, uh, but just kind of stood out to me about Tim Keller's ministry that are interesting. One is the church that he's best known for, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. Tim Keller didn't move to plant that church until he was 40 years old. He'd finished seminary. He would pastored for well more than a decade before he started the church that he's best known. And he pastored that church for nearly 30 years. That's an encouraging thing to me to think about. The second one is this. I, Keller has been a prolific writer. I mean, I, I tried to read all of his books in, in my early years of ministry, and I couldn't keep up with how quickly he was publishing them. I love particularly Prodigal God is a book that stands out, Counterfeit Gods, Reason for God. Those are all books meaning of marriage, honestly, one of my favorite books on marriage. But did you know that the book that he may be best known for, his first New York Times bestseller, Reason for God, was published when Keller was 57 years old. And most of the books that we know in his writing were published in the last 15 years of his ministry. I hope that's an encouragement to you as it is to me as a young leader, someone who wants to live the evergreen way. I think Pastor John Kimber, honestly, has a lot of the same ethos and heartbeat, Uh, just a love for the word of God, a love for the people of the post-Christian Northeast, uh, that there's a Kellerish element to his ministry. And you're gonna really love, we get into some really interesting things. We talk about preaching, we talk about pickleball, we talk about how to serve at a funeral. It is a vast conversation packed with great content. So without any further ado, let's get into my conversation with Pastor John Kimber. Well, today I get to introduce you to, and really get to know better, uh, Pastor, I should say, Dr. Reverend John Kimber, as I just found out, a a newly knighted uh, doctoral student, uh, not even a student graduate. So, um, Pastor John, thanks for jumping on the call today. It's going to be fun to be able to chat. Looking forward to it so you are in upstate new york what do you would you call it the capital district um broadly so maybe give the listeners an idea of where you're serving today
1: yeah so um we are in rexford which is about 30 minutes from albany so we're in the capital district area um rexford's a tiny place 20 minutes from a place called 15 minutes, I guess, from Clifton Park. That's that's a largely populated area. And just five minutes from a small town called Glenville. So we're in a, a townland called Rexford, but in the Capital District. Yeah, I want to talk more about the
0: context of doing ministry here in the Northeast. And today we're going to talk about preaching and communicating in the post-Christian context. But back up in your story a little bit, um, maybe give us a couple of uh, data points. You know, Where did faith intersect with your story? um and how did you end up like give me a couple things between that and being the pastor of faith baptist church in new york
1: yeah okay so you can probably tell um my accent gives me away right i'm not originally from the us i'm from england so i was born in england and um i came into the pastorate when i was 25 in northern ireland actually um so still in the uk but i went to seminary in northern ireland my wife's from northern ireland And um, I did three years of full-time training there for my master's and ended up pastoring a church in Northern Ireland for 10 years. So that was from 2008 to 2018. And then when I uh, finished my um, service at that church in Northern Ireland, we went to the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. I'd always wanted to study under professors whose books I'd read for years, uh, like Tom Schreiner and Bruce Ware, and obviously Albert Muller and other guys like that. And so we took the opportunity to do that. We moved to Louisville, Kentucky in January 2019, and I started my doctorate in expository preaching, my demon. And, and then COVID happened, and the seminary shut down. That's just over a year later. You know, we were living on the campus and we had a tiny apartment with two kids and they were like you're not allowed to go out all classes stopped the kids school closed the church that we were attending closed and i said to my wife like we can't stay in this tiny apartment forever you know without going out like let's let's go back to the uk and just spend a couple of weeks with my parents so we went back to the uk for what we thought was going to be a couple of weeks and seven months later we were still there in my mom and dad's house oh for what's going to be an extended visit but during that period of time i was applying to various pastorates in the uk and in the us and a church called faith in rexford uh came up when i was searching and i was looking at their statement of faith and uh, learning from their website about some of the things that were important to them and it seemed to fit really well so i applied and as they say the rest is history i we moved here in well, I came first in October 2020, so right in the midst yeah. of COVID, and then my wife and family joined me in November, and then I preached at the end of November for my candidating weekend, and uh, was was voted in and started December one. Actually, I think it was the very first day of December in 2020. So I've been here two and a half years. It's hard to hard to believe. Wow. Uh, So, I mean, you must have done a lot. I mean, done a lot
0: of that interviewing process virtually. Uh, It sounds like they may have had, they probably had more time on their hands and ability to move the process (laughs) forward because of the fact that it was locked in their houses.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. We did hours and hours and hours of discussing via Zoom. And uh, then when I got here, we had hours and hours and hours of in person interviews, like a full weekend with, 17 leaders and elders and other pastors who are here and then with the congregation at sort of open Q a sessions and it was a really intense weekend but it was it was clear to me as soon as I got here that that we had a, a great connection and mm. yeah pretty much immediately the, the uh, search team said that they believed that I was the candidate and took my name to to the church so yeah God was in the whole process absolutely. Wow. And you uh,
0: succeeded a, a longtime pastor uh, and you also had the bizarreness of, um, you know, coming in, leading a staff team, um, but moving uh, to a new area with your family in the middle of, uh, or you know, all the different phases of the pandemic that we got to go through. So um, yeah, were there so some we advantages, here, yeah. though, in the sense of like the simplicity of church at that time or, you know, what I'm sure there were challenges as well. What was that transition?
1: Like? Yeah, I mean. Like, yeah, you're right. Um, when we got here, we had to quarantine for two weeks, so we literally didn't meet anybody for two weeks. We lived in the, the we own a small house on the corner of our um, on the corner of our grounds, and we we had to stay in that house for two weeks and not meet anybody. So everybody knew we were there, but we couldn't meet them. <laughs> and then eventually, when we were allowed to come out, we started to meet people. But so many weren't coming to church. Everybody was masked up, so. I it's hard to know who was who because I could only see their eyes. (laughs) Can you write your names on your masks? That would be really helpful. And only maybe a third of the, maybe less of the ministries were actually taking place. So it was really hard to get to know people and get to know what the church did. And I remember the search committee saying to me, so what would you do in your first year? Um, I said, well, pretty much observe, just see kind of what the church does to get a feel for how faith runs. But the trouble was, it was, Hardly anything to observe. Like most things (laughs) happening. So then we did start to make some changes before everything naturally started again. It was the right time to say, you know, should we bring this back or should we not? I remember one elder came to me and said, "I thought you said in your first year you weren't going to make any significant changes. You were just going to observe." I'm like, "I did say that, but there's nothing really to observe. We're only doing Sunday mornings and a few other things are happening. And now is the right time to decide should we." recommence all of these ministries or not so yeah within the first few months we were making some pretty major decisions based on things that i had never even seen before but that was the right time to do it before everything naturally just went back to the way it was before covid but it's been a long process these first couple of years have definitely been been unique Mm -hmm. that's for sure
0: one quick detour before you get into kind of our main conversation on communication today but i just think this is an interesting thing that you share with me is that uh you have a uh a vibrant outreach ministry of people coming to your church for a very upstart, uh, sport here in the United States. Can you share a little bit about that and even, you know, share what it is, but also how you guys actually, um, you're very intentional about making sure that, the, that, there's a spiritual engagement in that space too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So the ministry is based around the number one fastest growing sport in America today, and it's called pickleball. Um, it started here about 10 years ago, like, When I came from the UK to New York, I'd never heard of Pickleball. Now, I've been a tennis player all my life, so immediately I was interested. And um, they introduced me to this game, Pickleball. And first of all, I thought, it looks like fun, so you know, let's get involved. I didn't realize actually how impactful a ministry it was, and even more so now since we've made some changes. Um, I would say we have 160, 170 people who play Pickleball here every week. Um, the gym is used from, for example, today. This is a Monday as we speak. Uh, Eight AM this morning, and my session is ten PM till midnight tonight, and there is no gap. So, two hour <laughs> sessions all the way through the day. And the great thing about it is, at the one hour mark in every session, so you you play for an hour, and at that one hour mark, you stop, you sit down, you gather around, and the leader, because there is the leader in each group, does a devotion and very intentionally prints out the text, uh, the scriptural text, hands it out, sits down and, and teaches from the Bible. Every single group without exception has a 10 minute, at least 10 minute devotion in the middle of it. And I would say about 80% of our players are either uh, non-Christian or maybe devout Catholics. Um, uh, our church... There are more and more people from our church who want to play, and we just have to be careful that you know not too many people from the yeah. church start to play so that it, it ceases to become the outreach that it is, because right now it's a phenomenal outreach. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing people come to Christ, and we're seeing people join the church and get baptized, and we're seeing God do amazing things. But we've intentionally moved that ministry from um, one branch of our church to another. We moved it from the adults branch, which was more fellowship, you know, as far as the way people viewed that ministry to mission. And that Mm -hmm. helps people just, just see that more as a, an outreach. It is a fellowship ministry, but it's more of an outreach ministry. And we're, we're reaching many, many people through pickleball of all things.
0: Wow. No, it's a, I I love the intentionality that you have in that space too, in in terms of, um, like you said that, you know, you know, one is like, God's doing something. So let's, let's pay attention. Let's use the resources that we have. And then how can we increase intentionality? Um, yeah. You know, again, you're not like browbeating people with the four spiritual laws, but you're creating spiritual conversations with intentionality, engagement Absolutely. with scripture. And then also Absolutely. even just that recalibration of putting it in mission. Uh, and I love that you're even saying we got to be careful and watch for if this just becomes an insider sport <laughs> yeah. versus a community engagement thing, then that's not a, not a healthy thing. Those are all, I mean, again, those are all really good questions for churches yeah. to
1: consider. So yeah, honestly, I've, I've heard more churches, uh, engaging that way. You know, the, the foresight of the, the man and his wife who started it 10 years ago, I mean, like who knew about pickleball 10 years ago? I mean, so many people don't even know about it now, but like 10 years ago to say, I think this is a great sport. I think a lot of people are going to play this game. I think we should be doing this on campus. Like that, that was an amazing decision. Great foresight 10 years ago to have it built up to the point where you've got 160 people signed up and now it's the fastest growing sport in the US. So it's, 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 it's great. It's a really impactful and effective outreach.
0: So how, how do you rank in terms of, you know, what would be your your are you one of the better players? So I'm just you gotta, <laughs> I just you gotta either. ask other people that question, not me. <laughs> so how much money should I be like budgeting for my pickleball paddle? Is this like do you have a graphite? Is this thing made out That's a of great like
1: question? That's a great question because you know the church have been so kind to me as soon as I got here and, and they saw I had some interest. Someone gave me a paddle, so I've never bought one.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. So you mentioned um, your your studies and focus, and um, I mean, we've talked previously too. Just the context of of Europe, England, Ireland, yes. and the post Christian context here. Obviously, there are contextual uniquenesses, but there is a spiritual overtone in terms of it being a very mm-hmm. post Christian place. That um, you know, you mentioned have mentioned me before, felt at home. Um, Mm -hmm. and we, we're engaging with a lot of younger leaders. Uh, hopefully we're going to stay lead churches, start churches in the Northeast. Um, I want to talk a little bit about communication and preaching in that Mm -hmm. context, being Mm -hmm. able to unfold the scriptures in a way that's highly engaging, true to the text. Um, you know, maybe you could kind of share about how, you know, 10 years at one church in Ireland, maybe I'd start this way. Mm -hmm. What changed from you as a new pastor to you 10 years in, what were some of the things that kind of, um, you know, were lessons along the journey?
1: Uh, that's, that's a great question. Um, in my first pastorate, so from 2008 to 2018, I, I learned so much and I learned from my fellow elders that I served with godly men who had been in that role for so many years. Um, they were like 50 plus and here comes this, you know, 25 year old guy. And, they they really treated me like a son in many ways and i served alongside them and learned so much from them so in in the whole area of leadership i could talk so much about what i learned for 10 years but in the area of preaching i think over 10 years i i was i learned that people they long for the biblical text they long to hear from god through his word the bible and that's why people started to come to our church. That's why our church grew, because we preached the Bible. And there were many churches in, in the area that we were based in, in Northern Ireland. But um, I, I took a sabbatical and started to you know visit other churches. And I soon realized that so few churches actually open the Bible, read the passage through, mm-hmm. and then preach on what they've just read. But most mm-hmm. of them opened the Bible and read some verses, but then they preached on a topic or something else that didn't maybe necessarily derive exactly from the text. So so I, I learned pretty quickly, actually, that, that people just, they want the Bible. They want you to teach them the Bible. And if you do that, that's a huge attraction. Uh, people mm. come because you're teaching the Bible. And so we had lots of new members coming, and we interviewed them. You know, why have you come here? Why do you want to be a member? And I'd say 95% of the time they said, because this church preaches the Bible. This church preaches the text. So that started my whole... Thought process it ultimately led me to do a doctorate in expository preaching because um, over over a period of ten years I, I saw the impact that that preaching from the biblical text makes in people's lives. So my preaching became more and more Bible based, more and more expository, more and more systematic, less and less topical, and ultimately that saw us as a church grow. Not because. I'm a great preacher, but because people came and they heard the Word of God preached. And I've, I've, I've left Northern Ireland with a huge conviction that that is how we should be preaching to the point where I went to Southern to do a doctorate in expository preaching. And that is my, that's my passion. So I've learned yeah. the importance of preaching the Word of God, along with many other things. You know, one
0: thing that you uh, you touched on there that I think is a, a good distinction to draw is um, there's a place, but it's not really the central place of preaching to just teach biblical truths, but to teach the scripture itself. And I think that yes. um, sometimes I refer to what some some modalities of the church have accidentally leaned into. It doesn't have the same trappings, but it almost turns the pastor into the priest because he's the one who knows how to unpack the truth. And then. He's bringing it and delivering to the people versus teaching people how to engage with the text and how to be able to absolutely. And so, you know, sometimes when we hear these things about like we need to teach more biblically, we actually think of it as um, you know it's more intellectual. And there's a degree that that's true, but there's also a part where we're actually equipping the the priesthood of all believers to be able to engage in the text. Um,
1: And so, absolutely, you raised some great points. this is this is where I, I I have a high regard for Tim Keller, but this is where I disagree with something that he wrote in his latest book on preaching. Actually, because he differentiates between expository preaching and topical preaching, whereas I, I don't I don't think that you need to do that. I think you can preach on a topic in an expository way. So mm-hmm. I'll do that this summer. Right now I'm working through the Book of Mark. I just preached sermon number thirty. And I'm in chapter 10, so I'm about halfway. It's (laughs) going to take about 60 sermons to get to Mark. But I give my people a break over the summer and at Easter and Christmas, and we're going to do some topical stuff um, over the summer. You know, who who is God? What's what's the Bible? Mm -hmm. Who's Jesus Christ? What's atonement, justification, sanctification? We're going to do topical sermons, but... Expositarily. So I'm going to preach on who is God from the Bible. So I'll have a text, I'll read the text, I'll preach the text, but my, my sermon is topic-based, so you can still preach an expository sermon and have a topic structure to your sermon series, but by and large, my default is systematic preaching through books of the bible because then at some point you're going to hit all of those topics anyway if you work through gospels or new testament books or old testament books whatever it might be so so keller's kind of saying you know topical is not expository and then there's expository i'm like no the, it, it can it, it can be topical can be expository there's topical and systematic preaching which is yeah. expository if you take the the word of god as your basis for your sermon so you can do it both ways, but just use the text.
0: Yeah, that's a good distinction because I think, you know, again, some of these are the nuance of definitions, but expository, you know, if, if you assume expository has to be sequential, um, mm-hmm. then, you know, like you said, start at Mark one and keep going. And, you know, yeah. not everybody's going to do the same slow pace that, that you, you may through Mark, but yeah. that's okay. Um, exactly. But and to be able to, up, yeah, but it's, I mean, you're talking primarily about how we approach that, you know, where we're drawing the truth from, how we're drawing the truth out and and those pieces there. So, you know, the the um, the critique of, you know, people who hold a high regard for expository preaching is how do we ensure that this is engaging, it's accessible to people who don't swim in the deep end of the yeah. pool um, and yeah. ensuring that there's application. And so how do you approach those? Th- I mean, obviously part of it is that you become a good student of the word, but how do you actually yeah. ensure that when you're delivering it on a Sunday morning that somebody who comes in, especially in our area, right? Maybe their only understanding of a Christian is some mix of Fox News and the Catholic Church. That's yeah. what they think a Christian is. Yeah. And now they're yeah. sitting in a pew and they're trying to figure out what's what is what yeah, is this absolutely. all about?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think this is a, the re- a really really important question that that I, I really want to get to. Can I take it back one step first before Please. we get to that? Um, you asked me earlier on about the you know the postmodern society that we live in, the post-Christian society that we live in. The the Northeast is very much like the uk very much like england where i was born in that regard and i think what we as preachers need to realize is that the context that we're preaching in today is a, a context and a culture a society that, that rejects the notion of absolute truth so we, we've got to go back one step before we start preaching the bible we have to bring people to a point where mm. they understand what we understand the Bible to be. Because we're saying, you know, this is absolute truth. In a, in a society that rejects the notion of, ob- of objective truth, we're actually getting up each Sunday and saying, this is it. So you have a problem before you even start delving into the text. Society saying, that doesn't exist. You know, truth for you is one thing. Truth for me is another thing. I'm happy for you to have your truth. Um... Leave me to mine. Don't tell me that my truth's not truth. You know, those things used to be called opinions, but we all used to have opinions, but now they're called truths, right? They, that's my truth. That's your truth. So I, I come up and I stand with the Bible on a Sunday morning and mm. I say, this is the word of God and we believe this to be absolute truth. And I pretty much say that every week without fail before I read it because I need people to understand where I'm coming from before I start to delve into the text. And and that statement is going to be rejected by, by most. There's... As far as they're concerned, there it doesn't exist. There is no such thing as objective truth. I'm like, well, here it is. Actually, it's, it's the Bible. It's the Word of God, and now I'm going to substantiate that claim by delving into the text and showing you why I believe this is absolute truth. Because despite being an ancient text, it still speaks to every aspect of life and a 21st century society. So, so now let me prove that statement by 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 diving into the text and helping you see what the bible says and also in doing that equipping you to to do it for yourself when i'm preaching i literally say to my to my people i say um don't just take my word for it check your bible or i say something it's in your bible too um open the word of god i started to take the verses off the screens when we were reading the the texts to get people to open their own bibles see that. What I'm preaching is is not my ideals, my thoughts. It's actually the Word of God, and therefore, when we take those words and preach those words, God speaks. John doesn't speak. God speaks, and and that's that's how we, that's true preaching. When you preach the Bible, you preach the Word of God. God speaks, and. And so then then we could talk all about expository preaching and how you prepare a sermon and all the rest of it but but something that yeah. you, you've asked me about there uh, which is really important and and too few people think about it is is how you deliver what you've come to the pulpit with you know all that time you've spent mm-hmm. doing spade work in the text and all the rest of it how do you, how do yeah. you deliver that do you make that connect with your people i think that's where you're going with the question
0: well so if i i appreciate it. that was a great um, you know, it's so easy for us, especially when you're preaching week after week to just assume and not to, you know, this is what happens with vision. It happens with our, our core beliefs, like the idea of articulating in a very succinct, but intentional way week after week, you know, we, as a church, this is the scripture that we stand upon. We believe it's true. Like those Mm -hmm. affirmations are so important as a leader to be able to, um, to be able to be affirming. Another thing, uh, I was, I think an implication, I think that the, um, the post-Christian church thing, especially areas like in the Northeast that have been there for a while, the absolute truth thing has been around for a while. But I think a, a newer implication, or maybe we're understanding this implication, um, I was reading somewhere online and I'm not going to be able to credit really well, but um, the, the author was talking about how part of what's happening in the church today, and I think areas that are more Bible Belt or have been contextually Christian are grappling with this in different ways, that even though the world may not have, uh, or, you know, people who are not believers previous generations may have said like, okay, I don't know if I believe the Christian thing. Their assumption Mm -hmm. was that you, as someone who goes to church, that you did subscribe to a higher moral life,
1: that Mm -hmm.
0: there was sort of, you had, you know, that you were trying to live a good life. You're trying to do things the right way. And that even if I don't agree with your foundation of scripture or how, you know, the gospel, I'm going to assume that you're trying to live a good life. With some of the, cultural issues that we're facing today, especially around gender identity and sec- human sexuality. In fact, what's happening now is that in many pockets of society, that is flipped on its head. And so what we, and this is what I think we're trying to grapple with right now, is that the assumption of my neighbor, if they hear that I'm a Christian, is actually that I am of a lower moral um, standard. And so that's, you know, it's not our job to defend it. God and his spirit and his word will be the one who transforms hearts. But it is important to understand the waters that we're swimming in as we, you know, try to lead our churches and stuff like that. So I just that was um I saw that was a good articulation. Again, I I can't give credit to the person I read that from, but I realized like man, that's an outflowing, that is you know the outflowing of living in a culture that for you know decades is not believed in absolute truth. Is this reversal yeah. of morality, um, which we yeah. experience and see in a lot of corners of, mm-hmm. of our of our communities, and yeah. so Absolutely. that's part of just another thing to to be considering. But and then so yeah, so if that's the waters we're swimming in, if that's the frame, ensuring that we're reminding mm-hmm. people in a post Christian context of the authority of Scripture, the centrality of the Gospel, and that we don't weary of reminding people of those things. How do we ensure that our communication? Is, you know, the challenge of a preacher is, and honestly, the spirit of God is the only way we can do this, but we can bring our best to it to ensure that the person who is far from God and the person who's been following God for, for, you know, most of their life Mm -hmm. are able to find places in the text and in application to be able to take their next steps with God. So how do you approach those things?
1: Yeah. So that's one of the most important parts of preaching. Um, Many, many preachers have great material. Uh, they don't say anything that you would disagree with. It's coming from the text. It's clear they've spent time studying hard and they've, they've got their literary context, their historical context. They've stuck to the passage. They've, um, they've broken it down well. They've got good headings, nice introduction, nice conclusion. And then they fall at the hurdle of communication. So all of their hard work, it's not not worth anything because, you know, we know God can use anyone. Um, but it could be so much more impactful if they gave a little more consideration to how they say what they're saying and how they apply what they're teaching from from the text. So I think I think one of the most important things as a preacher is to be real and to be genuine and to confess that you don't have all of these things sorted out. So Frequently, I'll have what I call Kimber's confessions. So I'll say, here we go. (laughs) Kimber is my last name. I'll say, I got another Kimber's confession for you this morning. And then, you know, the congregation know what's coming. And it's usually me saying, I don't have this all worked out in my life either. That immediately connects you to people the mm. new people coming yeah. in you know they're looking at you up the front and before they get a chance to put you up on a pedestal that you don't deserve um, make sure that you're just real and you say I'm just I'm the same as you we're all we're all doing this together and all I'm doing when I come to the pulpit is sharing with you what God shared with me in my office this week that's a, that it's as simple as that I'm just passing it on I'm not' lording it over you I'm I'm just I'm one of you and God showed me this during the week and I just want to tell you what God showed mm. me this morning and guess what it came from the Bible I didn't make it up it's not my like hobby horse it's not my ideal uh, topic of conversation for this morning but God showed me this this week and I want to pass that on to you this morning I think that you immediately connect with people then you're one of them that that really is is really important um, I think some people have preachers voices and that's a I really struggle with guys I know who when they get to the pulpit they they just sound like different people. They, they, mm. I'm like, just just be yourself when you get mm. up there. Just just share from your heart. Don't change your voice. Just I speak in a very conversational way when I preach. I try not to shout. I talk sort of middle volume. I I raise I actually in my notes, which are full manuscript, and there's a big debates about whether you should do that or not, I got marked down by one professor for having full notes, but that's fine. Um, I write, say this loud, say this quietly, pause. A pause is a really valuable communication. tool. you say something that you want people to pay attention to pause afterwards and count to five, the five, that's a long time. When you're stood at the front, that silence, anybody who's looking down or falling asleep, a five second silence, it, it, they look up like what happened, it went quiet. So a pause is a really useful tool as well when you're, um, delivering a message, all of these things just help in your, in your communication, the volume, be intentional, the pace, be intentional, the, the pausing and the, the saying something fast, saying something slow. But I think the most important thing is, is the content of what you're saying, like how you're saying it. So for example, I went on a mission trip to Uganda and uh, I came back and we, as a team, did a report to the church. I said to the, to the team members, I said, please don't get up and, and say this because you'll bore people. This is boring, okay? Uh, we got up at 6.30 every morning and we had breakfast. And we got in the van and it was about two hours to the school. And when we got there, um, yeah, there were children uh, just running around playing games. And we were like, this is really boring, I mean you can say the same thing but say it like this uh have you ever seen an african sunrise uh at six thirty in the morning the sky is orange and you realize that the god that we create is an awesome creator and that's the one that we're serving today and so as we ate breakfast with thankful hearts we prepared ourselves for what god had in store we jumped into a van and You know, the roads aren't great, and we were praying for our own safety, that God would protect us and take us. And he did, because God's faithful. And when we got there, we saw kids who were just so desperately excited to see us that they jumped for joy. You get the point, right? That's much more interesting than just saying we got up in the morning, we got on the bus, we went to school. It's exactly the same story, but it's Mm -hmm. told in a completely different way. And I think rhetoric, which is what that is, is so important. And so few preachers talk about this, and I've only really found two decent – books that actually delve into rhetoric and and how we should say things. They're both really old. One's by John Broadus and one's by James S. Stewart, and they're they're both like over 100 years old. But I don't find any other contemporary preaching books really. If people are watching this, please let me know if you know others. (laughs) But there's so many books on preaching, and so few of them actually Mm -hmm. talk about, now you've done all the hard work and preparation, how do you deliver it? That, that to me, is what makes all the difference. That's when you get someone like an Alistair Bick, when, when you get someone who they have great material, but they deliver it superbly. And that makes mm-hmm. all the difference. Yeah, it's sort of the, um, you know, a lot
0: of preachers spend a lot of time, you know, preparing the meal but they don't you know they don't plate it well and they don't they yes. deliver it cold you know it's it's sort of like you did all this work you got the finest cut of meat yeah. you, you know how to handle it you know exactly. all these things you put the right seasoning on it and then it's like but the yeah. failure was in actually like delivering it to the people and um, exactly you know, you know yeah.
1: same food but you just you didn't present it as well as you could have if you just had these things in like instead of having your your steak here mm-hmm. you had it on this side of the plate it would have looked a million times better you know it's i mean Obviously, it's different when it comes to preaching, but you get the point. When you, If you think about how you're delivering something, if you think about the process of delivering your material, I 99% of the time I'm delivering content as I find it in the text. But sometimes the text lends itself to just just moving something, thinking about how this is coming across. Like I've got 10, 15 hours to prepare my sermon. I understand this text inside and out. I've read multiple commentaries. I'm, 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 my head's full and I 100% get what I'm saying. You've got mm. a piece for half an hour. You've got half an hour to get this message that you've just spent, what, 10, 15 hours putting together across to those people. Mm. Another thing that you've got to be good at, and this is, this is another one of the most difficult parts of preaching, is leaving behind good material, leaving good material on your desk. Uh, just because it's good, it doesn't mean you should take it to the pulpit. If if it's going to be a 40-minute sermon when it should be 30, yep. but that's because you think, oh, this is really good, I've got to take it. Everything that you keep throwing on detracts from everything that you really need to say. Um, mm. So leaving good material behind is really difficult. You could find a great story, you found a great illustration, okay. somehow you're going to shove it in there. If, if you're doing that, that detracts from... The main point of your sermon. It's it's always better just to keep the main things, the main things. To have illustrations that support the main things. To you can you can go to this cross reference and that cross reference and talk about this story and that story. But does it really help the key purpose, the key point of of what you're saying? If it doesn't, don't take it. Leave it on your yeah. desk. Even if it's good, leave it behind. But that's 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 a hard
0: discipline. Well, and some of that you know, again, these things tie together, the humility and authenticity, um, you know, sometimes we're shoving things in our sermon because we're trying to, you know, for we're earnest, we're trying to be impressive that we did the work. Yeah. I put the hours in. I want everybody to know it, you know, and, <laughs> and, you know, the more you communicate, the more you realize that the harder thing yeah. is doing that 30 minute message than the 45 yes. minute message is kind of the lazy yes. message sometimes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there may be places I actually saw a pastor, I think it was this week that I saw that, He's doing like a midweek video of like things that didn't make the sermon. And I thought that was actually an interesting thing to do. I was like, you know, because it also is reengaging people back into the text that they heard on Sunday. Yes. And he just yeah. had like a, you know, three minute video. He's like, here's something that I, you know, here's a cross reference, here's illustration. Yeah this this was yeah. on the cutting room floor so maybe there is a place to do that but that's,
1: it's in that's terms a great of, idea yeah yeah i mean we have life groups that meet on sunday mornings and i write the questions for the life groups so you can you can you, we have two services we have nine and ten thirty. so okay. you can go to church at nine o'clock and then leave the service and go into a life group at ten thirty and talk about the sermon or mm-hmm. you can go to a life group first and then church afterwards and you'll still talk about the sermon but you'll talk about what you're about to hear you'll kind of come to church well-prepared. So you can choose whether you'd like to talk about what you heard or whether you'd like mm. to discuss what you're about yeah. to hear. But that that actually is a context for material sometimes that didn't make it to the pulpit. I'll write a question that gets people to think about something that maybe I didn't actually talk about when I was up there. So the life groups mm. talking about my sermon material actually give me an outlet for that as well.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I love that you, you touched on manuscripting and, and, and people do have different. I mean, I get it. I, I think that obviously you probably saw this in your educational journey. There's different approaches on the yeah. gift of manuscripting. If you are in that practice and is that you do, it forces you to force the intentionality. I'm, I'm wired by yes. that way because I love to write. So I enjoy yeah. that. And then I feel like the internalization, I sometimes will pare my notes down from a manuscript. Yes. Um, and then I've, I, I've honestly just recently started using an iPad to preach from. And one thing I like about it is that I can go back through and not just highlight, but even draw on that, write in the yes. pauses and the emphasis and, you know, add kind yeah. of layers to the to the message as well. So I think it's
1: great. iPad's great. And there's a lot of debate about what you should take into the pulpit. Um, I... Two or three times a year, I get into the pulpit with no notes. That is Christmas, yeah. Um, maybe a, a baptismal service or something where I know the congregation is going to be. The, the makeup's different this week. It's it's there are a lot a lot more maybe unsaved people here this week, so I don't need to be going into deep doctrine this week deep theological truths i actually need to preach i preach the gospel every week but i need to preach the gospel in a really clear really simple way and only for 10 15 minutes if i'm going to do that i don't take notes but if i'm preaching a regular sermon then i am fully scripted i don't get up there and read it though you should you should not get up there and read a full manuscript i have a full manuscript that by the way Multiple people in my congregation also have their their hard of hearing and I print my manuscript for them and they sit in the congregation with my manuscript and they know that I won't always follow it. If they're looking up, I know I'm off script because they can't (laughs) follow where I'm at. (laughs) But um, it's there. And maybe there is a really complex idea that I need to keep simple. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if I'm preaching on the difference between justification and sanctification and there's a phrase that I've come up with that I yes. think really helps i'll write that down word for word and i'll read it word for word and i'll take time thinking about on a thursday when i prepare my sermon i'll take time thinking about how i'm going to say this well there's no point taking time thinking about how you're going to say it if you then go to the pulpit and you just you wing it you make it up when you get there that that's a waste of time so there are certain things i i read exactly as i write them but for the most part i'm I'm free from my manuscript, but I'm also depending on my manuscript. So I'm not Mm. completely tied to it like a lecture, but if I lost it, I'd panic. You know, I need it, but I don't need it at the same time. And for me, that works. I also know that, my sermons are between 28 minutes and 32 minutes long. That when I get to 2,500 words, I'm mm. at about that. 2,700, 2,800 is is fine. If I if I'm below 2,500, I'm probably dipping under the 30 minutes. So it's good for my time management as well, just to keep me focused. I don't want to go down by path meadow. I want to stay on track, and I I, I like it. That's how I preach. And um, my professor who docked me marks for using a manuscript and told me I needed to learn. To preach without a manuscript, um, sorry, he's not gonna he's not gonna win that one. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: I, I mean, the the point is here to be thoughtful. I love even you, you knowing the number of words. I have a friend who was telling me how many words per minute that he yes. he knows when he's in a healthy um, yeah. communication tone that he's in a certain range yeah. of words per minute. And yeah. I mean, you can break that down even with yours. But like, as you do get the reps in preaching, like, pay attention to those things because those become little triggers to be able to kind of make sure that you're in the space that you want to want to be in
1: i just was going to say i think the other thing to remember is in the the post-christian post-modern culture that we we live in uh the technological culture that we live in people are not used to giving their attention to things for more than five minutes ten minutes you know my kids watch youtube shorts all the time that's like training them and i'm I'm trying to get them off. You know, I'm like, get off of this thing. It's training them to just take information and and sound bites. So you're going to go, you're going to go preach to someone for 45 minutes or an hour. That's, you have to be an exceptional preacher to keep people's attention for that long. And I mean, exceptional. I've only met one or two in my life that actually do that well. Half an hour is long enough. 20 minutes is for me, it's too short. 25 is 25 to 28 is the sweet spot for me I'm always 28 to 32 um, somewhere around there but even at that at that point in time you've got to have you got to give people breaks you've got to illustrate your points you've got to have your pauses and make mm-hmm. sure your structure is clear I, I just think preaching for longer than half an hour you you really have to be exceptional as a communicator to keep people's attention for that long
0: so I want to go one other, one other direction here. And, um, I'm going to, uh, so I was a youth pastor at a church in my kind of mid twenties and, uh, I was on vacation and we were in a pastoral transition. So we didn't have a lead pastor at the time. So I was, mm-hmm. I was getting some reps preaching, not knowing what I was doing. I got a phone call that somebody had passed away, uh, in our church. Yeah. And so, um, I got on an airplane and I flew home and I'd never let a funeral before in my life. And I was Googling, like what do you do <laughs> to lead yeah. a funeral? Um, and obviously part of his care for the people, but, um, I think that's another space similar to like a Christmas Eve or space that, um, gospel clarity and simplicity. Maybe you could give people a couple principles if they're, um, you know, if they're moving into the pastorate, I mean, that's going to be a part of, of their journey. Um, from your experience, what would yeah. be a couple things that would be important to you to keep in mind yeah. in that kind of a space?
1: Absolutely. So, uh, I mean, funerals uh, in my previous church, um, I did, I think it was almost 60 funerals. So we had a huge amount of funerals and I, I only had to do one funeral for an unsaved person. So that changes the, the whole dynamic of a funeral. If you're doing a funeral for an unsaved person, it shouldn't change your content, but it changes how you, how you do what you do. So just to say quickly, if it's a funeral for someone who's not saved, I basically would pay tribute to that person and talk about their life. And then I would have a, a, a break or a pause of some description, maybe a song or whatever. And then I would preach. I would preach the gospel mm-hmm. unashamedly every time. If yes. it's a Christian, I connect the two together. So I'm like, let's just say, make up a name, James. Okay, yeah, so James died. and This is what the Bible says. And James believed this with all his heart. And because James believed this, he's with the Lord today. So I, when it's a Christian, I can connect the two things When mm. when someone's, far as we know um not a christian it's it's just a case of okay let's let's just with thanksgiving remember their life and then let me preach the gospel just separate yes. the two things but keeping the gospel message clear is absolutely essential i every night i have to be able to go home after something like that and put my head down on the pillow and and honestly before god say i told them hmm. I, I, I can do nothing more than that. I told them. I told them about Jesus. I told them about the importance of repentance and faith in Jesus for eternal life, the reality of heaven and hell. I, I can't save these people. That's what, that's what you do, Lord. You save. But you've chosen me to be a messenger, and I told them, and so tonight I could sleep because I'm not responsible for their salvation, but I was responsible for telling them about Jesus. And to the best of my ability, I did that. And so I actually relish the opportunity to, to speak at a funeral because largely your congregation is going to be completely different to what it is on a mm-hmm. Sunday. You've got so many unsaved people there, people who are not familiar with that setting. By the way, singing is a really foreign concept to people these days. Even something like singing in a in a church is makes them feel uncomfortable. That's why, get me onto my hobby horse here, going out into the community and recognizing that what we do in here is not normal if you like um yeah. is really important because something as simple as standing up and singing is like when's the last time you did that outside of the context of a church maybe at some sports event or something i don't know but certainly not very often we do a lot of things that for us they're normal comfortable things and for people who come in they're 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 pretty weird things actually like to Mm -hmm. stand and sing as a grown man is a strange thing to do. Right. But, um, we just have to be, so back to everything we've talked about, we have to be real. We have to connect with these people. We have to say, look, I'm not preaching at you as a sinner. The Bible says I'm a sinner as well. Mm -hmm. Kimber's confession, all that stuff's really important in that context so that people who meet you for the first time and maybe only once don't leave thinking, wow, you know, who does he think he is? Or I really got told off today. They Mm -hmm. think, you know what, he's just a regular guy who clearly loves Jesus. And I'm interested to know more about what he was talking about. That's my prayer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I, I find that the, in, even in our culture with all the realities, I mean, there is a tenderness as people confront mortality. Um, mm-hmm. And even if it's awkward, they're going to show up and be present. And if you can serve with humility, but present the truth mm-hmm. of the gospel, in a very clear way. Um, you -hmm. know, I came away even from that experience, be like, I actually, I mean, I don't say I like funerals. That's, that's a bad thing to say. Like obviously (laughs) it's a tragedy thing, but in many ways I found it to be, um, in, from a ministry standpoint, more, um, People were more open than at a wedding. <laughs> you know, yes. It was a very different, different kind of a thing, and so, I I mean, so they're it confronted a space.
1: with their yeah. own mortality, right? It's right yeah. there. You can't ignore it. It's it's here's a fact for you: one in one people die. You can't ignore yeah. it. It's like, yeah. and and then the big question is, and then what? What next? Yeah. You know, I I use phrases like, "Life's a journey, not a destination." I mean, none of us are here forever. This is not our home. This is a journey. And what comes next is the destination. And it's what you do in the journey that makes all the difference for the destination. Mm. I say things like that, that that hopefully kind of, you know, prick people's attention. I don't preach hellfire and brimstone out of them because that usually turns people away. Um, But I do preach hell. And I talk about a loving God who does not want that for us and sent Jesus to die so that we could have heaven forever through faith in Jesus. And, I don't shy away from the hard topics, but I think you can almost talk about anything as long as you do it in love and as long as you're genuine. Hmm. All these things in love is a good, good place to close. Mm-hmm. And uh, John, thank you for
0: the way that you're shepherding uh, the community of faith in Rexford in that area from from Pickleball and the pulpit uh, thank you for, <laughs> no, th- thanks for yeah, thank you for uh, John serves on our, our board of overseers with Conversion Northeast and I appreciate your voice and leadership and perspective in that circle as well as we work together to be able to strengthen and start new churches and raise mm-hmm. up new leaders which is part of what this platform uh, of the, this podcast is about so thanks so much for your time thanks. John and sharing your wisdom
1: thank you Thank you. God bless.
0: Well, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Evergreen Way podcast. On behalf of our entire team at Converge Northeast, it is a privilege to bring you these conversations to help you be a healthy leader for the long haul. We would love to connect with you. Find us on Instagram at Converge Northeast and send us a message. That's an easy way to connect with us, or you can send me an email directly, andy at convergenortheast.org. We'd love to know what you think of the podcast, ideas you might have, or even suggestions for potential guests in the future. Please remember to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you would, do us the favor, leave us a review. Let us know what you think and help other people discover this resource. Until next time, this is Andy Needham with Converge Northeast. Thanks so much for tuning in.